Welcome back to On Air with Minority Affairs. We have a special guest. Her name's Katia. I'll go ahead and let her introduce herself. Hi, everyone. My name is Katia Vera. Um, I am a first-generation American, Mexican-American. Um, I have a background in anthropology. I got my degree from Princeton University, and I also have minors in global health and health policy and Latin American studies. Um, I work for a digital media platform called Latinx in Medicina. And a lot of what we'll be talking about today is kind of my areas of study and also um, a lot of ideas and discussions that I have at work um, and content that I create. So I'm really looking forward to spreading the word and talking more about um, issues affecting um, the Latinx community and how it regards their health. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm also going to let our newest host, Maria, introduce herself. Hello, everyone. So my name is Maria. I'm a fourth year Wi-Fi major at UCLA, and I'm very excited to be here. I'm so glad that we all can uh, go ahead and move forward with this podcast. So I guess we can go ahead and get started with our first question. The first question would be, what are social determinants of health? Just to get started. Um, so social determinants of health are really any component of your social life that affects or can affect your health. So social determinants of health are really access to education, access to healthy food, access to transportation. Um, I think the example of transportation uh, really helps people who haven't really like heard of social determinants of health before. And basically, um, you know, if you're in California and you kind of need a car to get around, um, having a car is a big social determinant that will kind of help you get to your job, help you to get to the hospital. Um, but if you don't have access to a car, you know, you're really going to need to use public transportation. And we saw with the pandemic, right, if you're exposed to more people, your likelihood of getting COVID really increases. And so that would be a huge social determinant of health because um, the difference between having a car, having to use public transportation really makes a difference in your likelihood of getting COVID. Um, and in the United States, socioeconomic status is inherently tied to race and ethnicity given the history of the United States and our social structures. So the communities most negatively affected by social determinants of health are typically communities of color. How would you say that structural violence contributes to social determinants of health? Yeah, so structural violence really describes the social structures that stop individuals, groups, or societies from reaching their full potential. Usually we think of violence as something that's physical, but in this case, it's social uh, structures that are causing injury. So they can be economic, they can be political, legal, religious, cultural, um, but think of things that are structurally in place that would have a negative impact on someone's life, like a court decision uh, being made or like hate crimes that aren't taken seriously by the state. Um, and they may not initially affect or contribute to social determinants of health, but they eventually can. Um, the example I like to give is a court case that was passed in 1982 called Pyler versus Doe. And essentially in that court case, the Supreme Court found that states cannot constitutionally deny students a free public education on account of their immigration status. So that's kind of like the precedent. But in 2011, um, Alabama enacted laws that required school administrators to determine immigration status uh, for students that had been newly enrolled. So this really affected the Latinx school children um, because they were their parents and they themselves were scared to attend school 
if they were undocumented and then could potentially be deported. So we know that education is a social determinant of health because without a formal education in the United States, job prospects are really narrowed. And um, in the US, there's no fundamental right to health. So most people have access to health insurance through their jobs and not all states have Medi-Cal the way that we do in California. So that's kind of how structural violence and social determinants go hand in hand. Got it. Thank you so much for explaining that connection to us. So the next question would be, how do social determinants of health relate to health disparities in the Latinx community? So the Latinx community is really unique in a lot of ways. It's an ethnic group. It's not a racial category. So you can be indigenous and Latinx. You could be black, you could be white, you could be mixed. Um, and Latinx Americans also come from different countries in Latin America. Um, like in California, the majority of Latinx are Mexican or Central American. In Texas, you have Latinx who have been there for three, four, five generations. Um, in Florida, it's a lot of Latinx who you know, migrated from Venezuela or Cuba. And in the Northeast, you have a lot of people from Puerto Rico or the Dominican Republic. So we kind of see that there's no like monolith. The Latinx community is very diverse. Um, and we saw this with the 2020 election and how there was no really like um, one way that Latinx voted. Um, but there is very, there's similarities in the health disparities that affect the Latinx community because overall, many Latinx are immigrants or first generation Americans and they have to navigate a system that's really structured in a way that's not in our favor. So many Latinx don't have access to the best education, to the best jobs, to food, to transportation, and a lot of the social determinants of health we've talked about so far. Um, for example, Latinx community have the worst rate when it comes to health insurance. And like I mentioned before, this is very much because of their jobs. So there's also a large subsect of Latinx that don't speak English. They might speak Spanish or Portuguese or an indigenous language. And even in the US, there's no official language. Um, the majority of our like, social interactions and our medical interactions are conducted in English. And even physicians that are Latinx, um, they may not speak one of those languages. So there's a language barrier when communicating to when communicating health problems. Um, and that's historically led to health disparities because there's either no communication or miscommunication. Um, I think an example I was thinking of recently was my mom had to be um, admitted to the ER, admitted to the ER and somebody in her same room only spoke Spanish. So they needed a medical interpreter. And my mom speaks fluent English and fluent Spanish. So even though none of the doctors or nurses or healthcare workers could understand the patient, they had to bring in a medical interpreter. And my mom said she noticed a lot of what the patient was saying wasn't being translated to the doctors and nurses um, via the medical interpreter. So it's kind of how like social determinants of health tie into health disparities, specifically in the Latinx community. I want to thank you for bringing in your personal experiences into the conversation. I always remember learning about critical race theory in my Chicano uh, studies classes. And uh, one thing that really stood out to me is to um, uplift and share the experiences of those who um, are actually faced with um, inequities or bias. Um, so yeah, I, I really appreciate you including that. And just to add, I've had the same experiences in the medical system. 
um, lots of things get lost in translation, um, having to translate for my grandparents um, at their doctor's appointment because there wasn't anyone there that spoke Spanish. Um, these are just very few things that the Latinx community faces in terms of health disparities. Um, and I hope that this conversation will um, just shed some light on, on that. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely where like change can come from. It's kind of like looking at the positive, looking at the negative and where we can fix things. I completely agree. Thank you so much for bringing that up. So as we know, uh, marginalized communities have been hit hard, hardest during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so how has the COVID-19 pandemic highlighted the health disparities in the Latinx community? Yeah, so um, you're definitely right that the communities of color were hit hardest and we saw this very early on. I think I want to emphasize that like the pandemic didn't just highlight the health disparities, but definitely exacerbated them and made them worse. So one of the most obvious reasons why um, this is, is because Latinx people are typically um, essential workers. So only one in six Latinx are not considered essential workers, so they can stay home. They didn't have to leave their houses during the pandemic for their jobs. And, you know, obviously leaving your house increases your potential transmission of COVID. Um, we also talked about health insurance and a lot of the statistics were showing that people with health insurance uh, were more likely to get tested for COVID, even if tests were free. And so, as I mentioned before, Latinx have the worst health coverage among racial slash ethnic groups. Um, and even when we're looking at like early vaccination efforts, um, some of the policies in place about who was going to get the vaccine early on before it was open to everybody um, were just inherently racist. They didn't you know, mean to be racist, but just because of the way the Latinx community is, their demographics didn't line up with the policies. Like, you know, initially it was healthcare workers and most healthcare professionals are not Latinx. And it was also elderly um, citizens and the Latinx community tends to be younger um, in our population than other demographics. So even when it came to like vaccination or just who was getting COVID, um, the pandemic was definitely highlighting these health disparities. Um, Another one is difficulty in social distancing. Many Latinx uh, live in multi-generational homes. So people weren't able to social distance from their family members if someone got sick um, and you lived with multiple family members, then there was a larger likelihood of you know, getting sick. Um, even in states with like low Latinx population, we were seeing that Latinx were being overrepresented in cases and in deaths. So in Washington state, for example, the population's only 13% Latinx. Um, but Latinx, I checked just this week, they made up 21% of cases. Um, and then you look at like larger states like California, well, sorry, states that have larger Latinx populations like California, and it's the same trend. Um, Latinx here, they make up 39%. And just last week, they made up 51% of the cases. Um, and it's the same thing with the COVID death rate. Um, overall, the Latinx uh, community or population in the United States is 18%. But when you look at the CDC data and you used uh, weighted population distributions, Latinx make up 34% of COVID deaths. So that's almost double like what it should be. 
Um, and it really is just getting worse because in May, 2020, when you know vaccination was barely getting to be like everybody, it was only 27% of deaths. So unfortunately, even as the pandemic has gone on, it still hasn't gotten worse and definitely highlighted the health disparities that exist within the Latinx community. Um, I encourage our listeners to read a study that was recently done um, about pandemic inequity. Um, it was done by researchers at Harvard Medical School and published in JAMA, and it really talks exactly about this. And they kind of measured like racial and ethnic disparities in death and other uh, hospital-based outcomes for COVID and for non-COVID patients. And the results weren't surprising, but they just kind of like echoed that disparities are evolving in access to hospitals, getting admitted, uh, quality of care, and just the ways in which the pandemic's highlighting um, the core of health disparities, um, not just being able to social distance because um, Latinos in many ways are essential to the economy, but they're not necessarily treated in that way. Thank you so much for adding statistics. I think it's very important to actually hear the numbers in order to understand what's going on right now. Kind of shifting to essential workers and the labor force, can you describe the demographics of agricultural workers and how is farm workers' health impacted by farm labor? Uh, um, I really like this question because I think, as I mentioned before, like with Latinx being essential workers, um, that had a huge effect on uh, like transmission rates and deaths. And one of the essential communities are agricultural workers. So it's really important to talk about them in relation to COVID. Um, I think with this question, I would also bring up like a lot of statistics. Um, according to the National Center of Farm Worker Health, 83% of agricultural workers self-identify as Hispanic and most of them identify as Mexican. Um, and when we think of farm worker health, we go back to like the social determinants because as I mentioned before, the US um, strongly impacts health and citizenship because there's no right to health in the United States. So we have to look at how many farm workers are citizens versus how many are um, here with green cards or how many are undocumented. So I looked up the statistics and about 4% have obtained US citizenship of the ones who self-identify as Hispanic. 21% um, have permanent residence or they're green card holders and 48% um, don't hold any work authorization. So that's definitely something that's going to impact their access to health. Um, and then the actual labor itself is another reason for poor health. Um, it's definitely very difficult um, on your body. You know, there's rep repetitive picking motions, um, bending over for hours at a time, lifting heavy buckets of produce, operating dangerous machinery. And the CDC reported in 2016 that the fatality rate for farm workers was 21.4% or sorry, 21.4 deaths per 100,000 workers. So that's incredibly high. And then in addition to that type of um, effect on the body, their farm workers are also exposed to natural elements um, and they're often unprotected. So that can lead to like heat related illnesses. And I think many people will be surprised to know that the only state that requires water and shade breaks is California. So farm workers die from heat related illnesses at a rate 20 times greater than the rest of the US civilian workforce. 
So there's this huge health disparity amongst farm workers. And even if we look beyond natural elements, uh, farm workers are exposed to toxic chemicals and pesticides um, that are sprayed onto agricultural crops, um, you know, to like combat infestations and increase crop production. But unfortunately, farm workers are often either sprayed while they're working or they're exposed from um, fields that have been recently sprayed. Um, and these chemicals are really toxic and they can lead to uh, issues with reproductive health or birth defects. Um, they've been linked to Alzheimer's, diabetes, cancer, autism, memory loss. And um, I'm from the Central Valley of California, which is a huge agricultural region. Um, and my family were farm workers um, and several people we know actually developed cancer because of the pesticides um, when they were you know, in the fields. So it's a very like important topic that needs to be addressed. And um, definitely was exacerbated by the pandemic because even though many people stopped going to work, we still needed food and our healthcare workers um, were still, um, you know, out there picking fruit, um, doing what needed to be done to feed the nation, but not necessarily protected. And their health outcomes were just getting worse with increased likelihood of getting COVID. And then um, many being undocumented, scared to get vaccinated and also not be protected by their work and not being given masks and really essential PPE. Yeah, um, I think it's really easy to forget just exactly how food is getting to your table when really farm workers are the backbone of this country. So we just wanna take the time to appreciate all of the farm workers out there. I think it's a really important topic in order to really understand how they are being impacted. And hopefully in the near future, more resources can be implemented in order to help this population. So just bringing everything together, what are some ways that students could advocate for equal health care in their community? Yeah, so I think there's like two ways to look at this question. There's kind of the long term and the short term. Um, and when I think of the long term, I think of um, the study that was conducted by UCLA's Latino Policy and Politics Initiative. And they estimated that it's going to take five centuries for medical schools in California to fully address the Latino physician shortage and close the Latino physician gap. So I think this really like encourages people that are looking into medicine to become healthcare workers because overall in every demographic of medicine, there are shortages and gaps between Latinx healthcare workers and Latinx patients. And um, Latinx physicians, nurses, et cetera, you know, we understand Latinx culture because it's our lived experience um, and being treated by someone who speaks your language or understands your culture, your religion, or your experience as a minority in the US, um, many studies have shown, and it's also just kind of intuitive that um, physicians with a similar background to their patient are gonna show, are gonna provide better care because they're dealing with something that they know and that they understand. Um, and patients also feel more comfortable speaking in their native language or speaking to someone who understands their background. And we've seen with the pandemic that patients um, have access to a lot of resources about COVID, but at the end of the day, they're going to lean on people in their own communities that they trust to tell them that the vaccine is safe. Um, so in the short term, I definitely think Students should be looking for volunteering um, opportunities or internships within communities that are vulnerable. So um, when I was in undergrad, I wanted to work with populations that 
wouldn't necessarily have access to healthcare if not for um, public hospitals. And so I volunteer, I interned at New York City Health and Hospitals um, the summer between my junior and senior year and I conducted research for them. Um, so I think looking for those opportunities that you're um, going to be exposed and being able to advocate for equal healthcare um, in your own community, that's kind of um, how you can bridge that gap and hopefully, you know, be a, even a small catalyst for change in that way. Yes, that's great info for all the students that may be listening. Um, I want to just go ahead and thank you for such an informative podcast. I think that your blog posts are so crucial in understanding the complexities of Latinx health. And the work that you're doing is amazing. And I'm going to definitely be linking those blog posts um, in the episode summaries. So anyone who's interested can go ahead and give them a read. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys inviting me. And I encourage, you know, listeners to kind of research even more. Um, There's so much information out there, um, but it's definitely not always talked about in classes or even in the news. So I hope that this podcast can kind of like open their eyes to how important this information is. Yes. Thank you again for being such a great guest, Katya. And thank you as well for all of the information. I think we covered a lot of different topics that were needed to be talked about. And I hope that the information was resourceful and informative for everyone listening right now.